Kevin, thanks for leading us this morning, and Rachel as well, thank you for leading us in worship. Uh, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Thank you for being here this morning, making your way here to, to this church. And if you're watching online, thank you for joining us online. Um, you've found us in the series we're calling the Backstory Series. And to begin this morning, I want to share a little bit of my backstory. Uh, many years ago, I was in high school, and when I was in high school, I played on the basketball team, and one night... Um, you have to remember, this was during a time in our world's history where parents could not track their kids' location by cell phone. I don't know if people know that or not, but there was a time in history when cell phones didn't exist. It's a strange time. People who survived that time, by the way, are survivors just for making it through. And I was in a situation where I was um, you know, out with the, some guys on the basketball team, and as a, I, I think I was about 14... 14 years old, um, 14, 15 years old at the time. And as the night kind of got away from us a little bit, someone decided it would be a good idea to go egg some local businesses. And I found myself in a situation where I'm like, this wasn't the plan at the beginning, but now here I am in a vehicle and in a social group that I want to be a part of. What do I do now? And what I did was I went right along with it, went right along with it, and then we ended up at someone's house at the end of the night, and someone decided it'd be a good idea to show a movie, the kind of movie that wouldn't ever be shown at my house, the kind of movie that when it was played, I'm like, I don't want to be here, but I don't know what to do. And I remember with one teammate in particular, this 14, 15-year-old boy, I remember I went, I literally, I, like I went across the room trying to get away from it and yet kind of peeking with one eye at it, interested and not interested at the same time. And I felt caught and stuck and I froze. I didn't have a cell phone to call anybody. I didn't even know, you know, what to do at that point, but I just remember freezing. I still remember it intimately to this day what it felt like to be in that situation where basically I knew that there are people in the room who had power and I didn't want to lose I didn't want to lose in their minds and I lost my voice in an environment where people had power in other words I didn't want to lose my friend group I didn't want people to think that I'm soft that I didn't belong you know, or that I couldn't be a part of this group and so Instead of that, because of my nervousness and fear, I froze and I lost my voice. And I might ask the question, and maybe you would have it this morning too, and I'll, I'll put it this way, it's easy to lose our voice when we're confronted with people who have power in our lives. I don't know if this is your story either. You ever been in that situation? Sometimes with a spouse. Sometimes with friends. Sometimes with teammates. Sometimes with classmates. Sometimes with professionals. Sometimes with your boss. It's easy to lose our voice when we're confronted sometimes with people who have power in our lives. It's hard to know what to do. And I want to ask the question this morning this way, simple question, how do we speak, how do we speak truth to power? Because when we don't, we often end up with regrets like I have. We often end up with harm of some kind either to ourselves or to others. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the life of someone in the Old Testament who did this very thing very well. And I want to give us a couple of principles to look at from four different parts of his life. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel. 
Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair near you. That's our gift to you. But Daniel uh, is in the Old Testament. It will be, if you find the Psalms, it's like the middle of your Bible. And then go a couple more books to your right, and you'll find uh, Daniel's story there. And Daniel's story is an interesting one. It has some history and narrative or story to it, but it also has some prophecy to it toward the end. We're just going to hit a couple of the sections of Daniel's life, like a, a stone skipping across the pond. We'll hit four different panels of his life really quick to try to get a picture of what can we learn from someone who did such a great job of speaking truth to power, because it can be a very difficult place to be. So just to set it up real quick, Daniel is a young man who was taken from his home by the Babylonian Empire. He was taken captive, and along with some other young men, uh, he was put in King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, favor or court, because he took the best of what the Israelite men had to offer, and he wanted to train them in the ways of the Babylonians. Daniel's name was changed. He was given new food to eat and wine to drink, things that went against his value system. So in the very first chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we have a verse that Honestly, each of these panels I could preach a whole message on, but I'm not going to. But Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel is stuck with a situation where he's being told he has to eat something, and he really has no authority, and he's in a tough situation. And look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. This is a very interesting position. Daniel, again, taken captive. He has no authority. There's power over him. And the truth is, he would rather not eat what has just been given him to eat. He has everything to lose and nothing to gain by putting it this way. But what drove Daniel, you'll see it there at the beginning. It's the third word in my text, at least. But Daniel resolved. This is a, similar to a conviction. A belief and convictions are different, right? Like, if, imagine for a minute that... Um, that I still carried a wallet around, and I had my wallet, and I dropped my wallet in Park City Mall, which is even harder to believe that I'd ever be shopping in the mall. But imagine I was shopping in the mall, and I dropped my wallet in the mall somewhere. I might have a belief in the goodness of humanity that if someone saw me drop it, they might give it back to me. All right. Now, if some of you were there, let's say six, eight, ten of us went, and I dropped my wallet in the mall, and you were right there, now I don't have just a belief but now I have a conviction because I know that you would absolutely steal it. <laughs> right? I know you would. Now, I have a conviction now that you, because of our relationship, this, this, it's not a, just a belief that you'll give it back to me. It's actually a conviction. Like, it's a deeper level of belief. You understand what I'm saying there? So this is the movement. And so Daniel has this thing. There's not just a belief, like, eh, it may or may not work out. This is a conviction, like a deep resolution. And so I begin with this principle here. This is my first principle, and it's this, that, that conviction fuels courageous conversation. Because it was a conviction of his, there was a deep sense of right or wrong for Daniel, and it triggered something. He's like, no, I, I can't live with myself if I do this. And this kind of conviction that takes belief and moves it and drives it to a deeper part of our soul, it fuels courageous conversation. Um, I want to speak for a minute to... Um, to, a, to an issue around this, which is really significant. And that is, um, what Daniel was reacting to is not just his values, but God's. Daniel, we see throughout the, the letter, the book, is a man who is um, deep in pursuit of God through constant prayer, deep humility. This isn't just Daniel being convinced that his personal 
life is being challenged. This is, for him, a matter of faith in God. So we don't pursue, I would say Daniel didn't pursue courageous conversations without a godly conviction. It wasn't just personal offense. To put it another way, you could change this statement, and you could say right now in our cultural moment, conviction can fuel inflammatory conversations, right? Incendiary conversations. Conviction can make people say things and do things that they maybe otherwise wouldn't do. And to put it this way, I think it's commonplace in our political arena right now for people to speak to power as a way of furthering the platform to themselves. They'll use sometimes incendiary speech, like angry speech, to try to basically make a stand on every issue, escalating the small things to the big things. Fear-mongering, making people come to my side, making themselves big, being, being you know, up, 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 always being strong and big and making every issue the major issue. And if you don't agree with me and vote with me and come on my side, then you're going to have a problem and the world will end and everything's going to go poorly and everyone's going to die and nothing's going to work out and everyone's going to take it. And this constant uh, escalation of things so that their platform can be increased. And this is so important at the beginning of this. My experience in reading Daniel's life is that the courageous conversations for Daniel are tied to a deep humility in prayer, in seeking God's wisdom, and, get this, a willingness to die. Never a desire to magnify himself in his positions. Speaking to power in Daniel's life is not about his advancement nor personal convictions. He does what is convic convicted in him in his faith in God. And so for Daniel, when I say it this way, I just want to be clear that what is moving in Daniel is not just a matter of personal preference. He is not convinced or convicted of something so that his platform can be increased. These convictions come from a courageous belief that there is something right or wrong happening that impacts that in God's kingdom, okay? And what he does is he, he asks the chief official, he asks the chief official for some time. He says, can I have basically 10 days? I'm gonna give you a 10-day test. And so the second principle I see in Daniel is not just that conviction is necessary to fuel these conversations, but also that he chose this. He chose to honor those in power. Daniel didn't demand his way he asked for permission, and what that did is that allowed the chief official to save face. It allowed the chief official to retain his position of power and authority. It gave him space to be like, well, I guess what could really go wrong here? It gave him the opportunity later to be the one who gets the win. He was the one who could go back to the king and say, hey, king, you know, I just want to show you something. We have some guys who are doing even better, and here's what they're doing instead. How about everyone does this? which is what ended up happening. But Daniel, in his approach, he honored those in power, right? So what ends up happening in Daniel's life is he moves into a position of power in the kingdom. The king ends up sometime later having a dream. And this, in this dream, he wakes up and he's deeply troubled and he calls the wise men in and he's like, I need you to interpret my dream for me. And if you know the story, you know what happens next. And they're like, well, that's no problem. We are glad to interpret your dream. Just let us know what it is. To which he says, now, I've seen this one before. I'm not going to tell you what it is because anyone could make something up based on what I tell you. I need you to tell me the dream so that I know you know it so that I can trust your interpretation of it. 
To which they're like, that's ridiculous. They said, no king in the history of the world has ever asked their wise men to do this. And he says, I don't care. Do it or I'll kill you. Which is a kind of a strong position to take. All right. To which they're like, okay, they're unable to do this. And so the king acts on his impulse and he sends his king's guard out to gather up all the wise men and kill them. At this point, Daniel is one of those wise men. So we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 14. This is the second panel of Daniel's life. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. In other words, we pick up the story when Daniel gets a knock on the front door, and it's Arioch with the guard ready to kill him. How would you feel if you answered the door to that? You ever been in a stressful moment? Here it is. So he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, then Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And here's what I see from this moment, and that is this, that that in times of stress like this, in times when you're facing people with power, questions go further than accusations. Questions go further than accusations. When you're dealing with someone in power, questions go further than accusations. Daniel asking the question, can you please help me understand why is this decree so harsh? To which they explain it, and then he says, can I please go to the king? He went to the king and asked the king, can you share with me what's going on? He says, here's the, door, the story. And there we go. Questions go further than accusations. I can just imagine if it were me. I don't know about you, but truly, when your life is on the line, this is, <laughs> this is a time to say, this is unfair. This is ridiculous. Who does this? I don't know about you, but I would be leaning that way. Like, this is insane. You're, you're about to kill me? I mean, you're, you're really, like, they're here with their weapons, right? Like, they're about to kill you. And you're like, I, before you do that, I just want to, can we talk about it for a minute? I, I don't know about that. I'd be ready to fight. And, and even and especially in a situation where you're speaking truth to power, Daniel's model is that questions go further than accusations. So if you know the story, Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and shares the, the, you know, the, the story. Ultimately, he hears that, hey, here's the situation. Daniel comes back, um, prays to God, and overnight God reveals to Daniel the dream. The next day he goes to Nebuchadnezzar explains his dream, interprets it, and that, that is a huge, huge deal for Nebuchadnezzar. He invites him into the kingdom, elevates him even more in power. But then one day, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, another one, and he tells Daniel what this dream is, because he's like, we've already been through this game before. I know you'll tell me the truth, so here's the deal. And he shares this hard dream with him, to which Nebuchadnezzar realizes that Daniel has something in his mind, and he's maybe a little bit afraid to say it. I want to pick up that story in Daniel chapter 4, so scoot over there with me if you would. Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, that is, when he heard the dream, and his thoughts terrified him. And so the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. In other words, the king is standing there, or sitting there, and he looks at Daniel, knowing him well enough, he can tell he's anxious. He's like, all right, this may not be good. The king already knows. 
that Daniel is aware that if he tells the king something he doesn't like, he's going to die. Now, I don't know if you ever stood before a boss before, and they've said to you, like, well, I don't know why everyone's always quitting. And you know if you're about to say something, you're about to die, too. Right? I don't know if you ever stood before a friend, and they're like, I don't know why she dumped me. Like, what's the problem with her? She's always such blah, blah, blah. Well, you have an idea of what's going on with them. But you know if you share it, you're about to die relationally. Same with your spouse. I don't know what's going on. And you have an opinion. You have a thought. You know if you share it, you might face relational death as well. And so Belteshazzar, the king, looks at, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar looks at Daniel and says, listen, uh, let me just take this off the table. I'm not going to kill you, all right? Just tell me. Verse 25, he tells him the dream, and Daniel tells him straight up. He says, you know what? Verse 25, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone that he wishes. He's telling the king of the superpower of the world at this time that he's about to be sent out to be a wild animal and live like a, an ox. Just imagine how well that would go. And so what Daniel does is he pushes further. Verse 27, therefore, your majesty, and this is, this is so insightful what Daniel does, Verse 25 was a part of the interpretation of the dream. Verse 27 is an unsolicited recommendation from Daniel. The king didn't ask him, what should I do? But Daniel didn't care. He just went on with it. He said, verse 27, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my, I'm going to insert, unsolicited advice. Renounce your sins. Just imagine talking to your boss like that for a minute. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. How do you speak truth to power? <laughs> Here's what I see in this part of Daniel's life, and that is this. What is True, I'll put it this way, what is true is more important than what's at stake for me. What is true is always more important than what's at stake for me. And when I was stuck in that house watching that movie that I would not have watched in my own house, feeling shame and guilt, there was a lot at stake for me. And that was more important to me in that moment than what was true. I got stuck. I froze. I wasn't able to move past it. So what Daniel does here, he's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's enough where you would kill me. And then not only am I going to interpret it for you, I'm going to tell you something else. You're sinful. You're wicked. And if you turn from those now, maybe God will restore you. What does it take to speak truth to power? A conviction, asking questions, showing honor, and then this. What is true is more important than what's at stake for me. Daniel moves on with his life. He keeps going on, and I assume doing some great things. We don't know the story of all that he does. Um, 
Nebuchadnezzar moves on, and this dream comes true. Nebuchadnezzar goes and is kind of kicked out of the palace. He loses his leadership. He regains it when he uh, repents and turns back to God. And then there's a period of time that passes where King Nebuchadnezzar is no longer in the picture, and his son takes over. And Daniel is basically then sent off to Florida to play shuffleboard and retire, right? He's sent out to pasture. He's shelved, whatever he is. He's not in play anymore. He's no longer in the palace. He's doing whatever he does. You know, I don't know. He's gotten older. There's a new leadership regime in town. And then what happens when the king's son, who's now the new king, uh, is having a party? Uh, Some of you know this story from, um, I remember it from flannel graph Sunday school lessons. If you don't know what flannel graph is, it's okay. It's actually a little pictures that would, I think, stick to my shirt right now, if you were to put them on there, um, of characters and people, Bible characters, usually in bathrobes, you know, uh, moving around. Um, But it was an early way in our technology to keep kids engaged with um, Bible stories. And there is this uh, hall, this feasting hall, in which there becomes a hand that shows up and writes on the wall. Just imagine for a minute how incredibly disturbing it would be to see that happen right here right now, a hand showing up, writing something on the wall. It would be incredibly, incredibly disturbing. And it was disturbing for the king and the wise men. He asked them, can you tell me, O wise men, what, what is that? What is that? Is it just because I'm drunk? And can't, I mean, uh, he didn't say that. Those are my words. Like, what is going on? To which they're like, we don't know, but here's what we do know. There's someone who might be able to help you out. We're going to text Daniel, ask him to come in, because Daniel still exists. He's been on the shelf for a long time, but I think that he could help you. And so Daniel chapter 5, just flip over a page or whatever, or scroll over another uh, screen in your phone. Daniel chapter 5, verse 16. Daniel has now been called in, and he's standing in front of this new king. And here the king says to him, Now I have heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I love this. I love this interchange that's about to happen because here's a young king thinking that everyone is driven by power and wealth. Everyone is driven by significance and wanting something more. And Daniel in verse 17, he's at the point in his life where he's like, are you serious? Whatever. Verse 17, he answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. I love that. I love that. I love people when they get to that point in their life where they have nothing to lose anymore. When they're like, I, I don't need. I don't need your stuff. I don't need you to give me something. I don't need you to reward me. Just this isn't what life is about. All right, just whatever. Keep keep all the money, whatever. But I will do what you need because you need it done. And then he goes on to verse twenty-two, and he very candidly tells Belshazzar what the issue is. But you, verse 22, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold or bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is what the inscription that was written, this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. I have no idea how actually to say that. That's, there you go. 
Verse 26. Here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided to the Medes and the Persians. This is, this is again, really significant to me. My observation simply around this is it's less of a principle for how to do this and more of just a principle on life, and that is that you can stay sharp through old age. You can stay absolutely sharp through old age. I don't care how old you are. What we're seeing here is someone who's brought out of what many might just call retirement. Like, I'm too old to deal with that anymore. I don't want to have to confront that stuff anymore. I don't want to have to speak truth like that. Daniel was very free with it, very strong with it, very clear with it, very straightforward. I don't care if you're getting older. doesn't mean you need to lose your edge in any way. God doesn't have that expiration date on your age or your effectiveness or your usage. Daniel's brought in when he's no longer a part of the kingdom. But he offers a great service to these people. Here's what it means. And he, again, is incredibly direct about it. So let me bring all this together for you this morning into one little slide. And then I want to simplify that slide even more. And that is this. Here's what I learned from Daniel. And I hope some of this is helpful. First of all, conviction fuels courageous conversations. Honor those in power. Questions go further than accusations. And what is true is more important than what's at stake for me. Conviction fuels courageous conversations. Honor those in power. Questions go further than accusations. And what is true is more important than what's at stake for me. Let me put them all into one word here to make it simpler. Conviction, honor, questions, truth. Run this grid through this 14, 15-year-old who's stuck in someone's home with his basketball team a number of years ago. There's a conviction in my heart that was indeed um, provoked. I felt like what we were doing and what we were about to watch wasn't good and wasn't right. And it wasn't just a personal preference. I felt a deeper level of conviction. And then I got stuck. I didn't know what to do. And if I had been able to have this or think about this, I think some harm could have been avoided. Harm to me and maybe, who knows? Maybe to other people in the room, I don't know. The conviction was there, but I didn't act on it. I just froze in fear because I didn't want to lose what respect. I had, I had given power to the people in the room. I had given power to my peer group. I wanted them to return to me acceptance. I needed them to affirm me, therefore they had power. And how do you speak truth to power when you don't want to lose what they have to give to you? First of all, conviction motivates courageous conversation. I knew what's going on here isn't right. It's not right for me based on my faith. It's not right. How can I honor those in power right now? How can I honor those around me right now? Well, I don't need to judge them, right? I don't need to speak down to them. I can ask if anyone can hand me a phone. <laughs> I can get up. I can do something. I can walk outside. I can ask the person who's hosting this a question. Do you have a phone nearby I could use? And what I could have done, I could have called my parents. I didn't drive at that point. I could have gotten up and done something like that. I could have asked, like, hey, is there something else that we could do that, that might be fun to do tonight? And I could have spoken with truth without being judgmental to the people in the room. I could have simply said, listen, guys, 
I think I need, I need to head home here, all right? This, this isn't for me tonight, but I'd love to hang out again. Like, I'd, I'd love to hang out tomorrow. Like, I'd love to come back here, but I'm just saying, like, right now, this isn't for me. I just want to be honest. It's just not for me tonight, all right? Just not for me. I don't need to judge you for what you're doing with it, but for me, it's just not right. A conviction, honoring those around me, asking questions, speaking truth. This works in marriages. There's a conviction, maybe, that something your husband is doing or not doing or something your wife is doing or not doing just isn't right. But it's hard in a marriage to speak truth to power. But how can I honor? How can I honor her and honor him? What are the questions that I need to ask so I understand the situation? And how can I speak truth? Because speaking truth is more important than what's at stake for me. This works at work and at school. This works in our families. What is the conviction and is it godly, not just personal, is it godly? Am I stirred by a godly conviction? And how can I honor those in the room? What questions will help me understand? And how can I speak truth despite what it's going to cost me? This is what Daniel did with great repetition. One of the things I love about Daniel, um, and I'll finish with this, is that uh, in his old age, he didn't stop doing this, which is why I want to finish this way with you. I want to encourage you, don't retire from this. Don't retire from this. Living this way, being able to speak truth to power by having your own convictions developed where injustice strikes you and you're willing to do what is needed for the sake of God in your relationships, where you're willing to honor those in the room, ask questions to understand, but speak truth no matter what it might cost you. Don't retire from that. Daniel didn't. Daniel didn't. He never did. It's amazing to me, and I hope it's an encouragement for you. And with that, I want to finish with this question. And is this, is there any truth that I feel convicted that I should be speaking to power, but I'm afraid to? Is there any truth? As you look around your relationships right now, is it someone you're married to? Is it someone in your friend group that's doing some things that you're like, I, I haven't been comfortable with this. I've just been unsure what to do. There's someone at work a boss who is playing favorites or a teacher or a coach who is playing favorites and you see it and you know you're the favored and the other kid is the unfavored. Is there any truth that you feel convicted that you should be speaking to power but have been afraid to do so? Daniel's story tells us there is a way to do it. It starts with conviction. It includes honoring those in power. It includes asking questions for understanding. And it includes speaking truth. Because that's more important than what's at stake for me and for you. So if you would, I would like to just take a couple moments here as I wrap up and we kind of settle this for a minute. As I go to prayer here in a second, I'm going to give us a minute at the beginning of this time of prayer just for some quiet reflection, just to let this question sit for a minute. I invite you to allow the Spirit of God to ask this question with you. Is there anything? Is there anyone? Is there any truth? You feel convicted you should be speaking to power but have been afraid to do so. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to sit with this question. We're going to do that right now just for a few moments. Is there any truth that we feel convicted that we should be speaking. 
God, I pray that you would help us with courage. It is so hard when we feel stuck and afraid, like I did, in that home that night in high school. It is so hard when we feel afraid of people in power around us. It's easier to negotiate with ourselves and to say, it's not that bad, it's going to get better, it's not that big a deal, just one thing. God, I pray that you would help us to remember the life of Daniel. The truth is more important than what's at stake for me. So I pray that you'd help us not to be um, harsh with truth. Not to be battering rams with truth. Not to be accusers, vigilantes, people who wield it unlovingly. But that we can, like Daniel, deepen our convictions, honor those in our rooms, ask questions to understand well, and then not be afraid to speak truth. Because it's more important than what's at stake for me. I pray you'd help us never to retire from that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.